Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and it is evening this time. Uh, I have decided, at least from now until uh, the next election, to uh, do as many shows as I can uh, with a very express purpose, and that is to uh, get as many people as I can to think about what is going on politically in this country and uh, what I see as a, a terrible degradation of democracy and uh, a large number of people, many in Congress, uh, who don't want democracy and don't want the government to function as the government has functioned with all of its problems. Um, and I think this would be a catastrophe for all of us. And so I want to present as much material as I can to help whoever listens to become more aware of their own thoughts and feelings, uh, their more, more or, or own orientation as to how they see politics and how they see uh, themselves as a citizen uh, in a great democracy. Tonight I'm going to present two stories. The first is by David Brooks, who is a conservative uh, columnist uh, and author for the New York Times. Um, I always read David Brooks. Uh, I try to read as many conservative columnists as I can uh, and, and continue to read them for insights that they provide that make me feel as if I'm broadening my view uh, of, of politics, of people, uh, of myself as a citizen in relation to the country, uh, knowing that I'm capable of taking an extreme liberal position and being blind to some of the important aspects of other points of view. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, I will discuss being open-minded and being uh, uh, living in doubt a little bit later when I discuss uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky's story, The Grand Inquisitor. What makes me uh, excited about Brooks's article, and I'm going to read a lot of it on the air, was that he's the first that I could see of conservative Republicans who apparently are frightened about uh, what is happening in Congress and the danger that sometime this fall, the government could be shut down uh, uh, with catastrophic uh, consequences to our economy, to our standing in the world, uh, especially in a world that has become more and more dangerous uh, more and more, as I've done three shows recently, as I see a drifting towards um, uh, a, a war, uh, a nuclear war. Um, since I did my last show, Russia has entered into the fray in Syria and Iran, and uh, it has upped the ante and created more and more danger of a large-scale confrontation uh, whose end uh, we would not know until uh, some catastrophe uh, took place. So let me start reading his, his column. He's going to take a lot of hits. Uh, he's going to be vilified, pilloried. He's going to be dehumanized. He'll be called a traitor. He'll be called uh, uh, a liberal, uh, which for many individuals is the ultimate curse word. I don't know how that happened, but uh, uh, that's what we are in this point. Uh, and I think he provides a lot of insight into what goes on. What is important for me to state is that uh, I see the problem as not with being a Republican, but with the kind of thought processes that have taken over large parts of the Republican Party. It's a historical accident. Uh, there's nothing to me inherently wrong in being Republican, um, nothing at all. <clears throat> and that's critical because when I listen to uh, some of my friends excoriate and attack the Republicans, uh, along with 
columnists that I really enjoy and respect, such as Paul Krugman, the party has been hijacked by crazies. And calling people crazy, for anybody who's ever listened to my broadcast or wants to go into my archive, crazy is another word for mental illness or disorder, which says, I don't like how you think, and I don't understand the reasons for it. My ignorance then is expressed in the word crazy or psychotic or lunatic or mentally ill, creating an illusion of explanation when in fact it does not analyze the kind of thinking, the mode with which individuals who function this way are seeing the world. And we use a moral label, an insult, to create this feeling that we have an explanation when all we have done is entered into the same mode of destructive demonization, dehumanization that we claim uh, is the functioning of others. So I hope I'm making that clear. Uh, let me read his, his uh, article. The title is uh, The Republicans' Incompetence Caucus, October 13, 2015. I'm not going to read all of it. I've selected parts. The House Republican Caucus is close to ungovernable these days. How did this situation come about? <clears throat> By traditional definitions... Conservatism stands for intellectual humility, a belief in steady incremental change, a preference for reform rather than revolution, a respect for hierarchy, precedence, balance, and order, and a tone of voice that is prudent, measured, and responsible. Conservatives of this disposition can be dull, but they know how to nurture and run institutions. They also see the nation as one organic whole, Citizens may fall into different classes and political factions, but they are still joined by chains of affection that command ultimate loyalty and love. And in uh, one of my broadcasts recently, I talked about how the uh, more conservative in the traditional sense and the more liberal uh, in the traditional sense are really two sides of the same coin. The conservative focusing more on the individual and slow change and the liberal uh, willing to experiment with larger change because they focus more on the society as uh, 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 in a Rousseauian fashion that it's society that causes individuals to have the problems they have, not enough justice, poverty, etc., uh, so rather than focus on character, as does the conservative, the, the, uh, uh, the, the liberal focuses on what they see as the injustices of society. And both views, I think, are necessary to create a more whole picture in order to make decisions about how we should govern our country uh, or live our lives in general. Over the past 30 years, I'm reading again from Brooks, or at least since Rush Lumbaugh came on the scene, the Republican rhetorical tone has grown ever more bombastic, hyperbolic, and imbalanced. Public figures are prisoners of their own prose styles, and Republicans from Newt Gingrich through Ben Carson have become addicted to crisis mentality. Civilization was always on the brink of collapse. Every setback, like the passage of Obamacare, became a ruination of the republic. Comparisons to Nazi Germany become a staple. And by the way, liberals do this as well. They will call the, the Republicans fascists and Nazis, uh, none of which helps. Um, this produced a radical mindset. Conservatives started talking about the Reagan revolution, the Gingrich revolution, among people too ill-educated to understand the different spheres, political practitioners adopted the mental habits of the entrepreneur. Everything had to be transformational and disruptive. Hierarchy and authority were equated with injustice. Self-expression became more valued than self-restraint and coalition building. A contempt for politics infested the Republican mind. And when you look on the, the Demo on, on the liberal left, the real left, 
It's exactly the same. A contempt for ideas, uh, uh, the calling of anybody who tries to be an authority uh, on the assumption that they will be uh, ill-willed, incompetent, uh, and and, and should be ignored. Uh, The notion of revolution takes over the idea of a change that tests the quality of the ideas being put forth about change. And we need people who posit ideas about change, who think out of the box. At the same time, we need people who are going to stand and say, we have to question and test these ideas. That's part of the good science. It starts with an imagination and then has to be tested in the laboratory in in ways in which bad ideas, dangerous ideas, false ideas are uh, uh, weeded out. And when we make a change, uh, when we bring a new medicine into the public, when we do something to change the way we live, uh, the harm is less, much less than the benefit. But this new Republican faction regards the messy business of politics as spoiled and impure. Compromise is corruption. Inconvenient facts are ignored. Countrymen with different views are regarded as aliens. And I'll add, this dehumanization and demonization becomes so much a part of the babbling of hate that comes from some of these uh, writers and online people, uh, Rush Limbaugh being one I've talked about, Ann Coulter uh, is another one. Um, uh, politics identity becomes a sort of ethnic identity, and any compromise is regarded as a blood betrayal. This anti-political ethos produced leaders, elected leaders of jaw-dropping incompetence. <clears throat> Running a government is a craft like carpentry, but the new Republican officials did not believe in government and so did not respect its traditions, its disciplines, and its craftsmanship. They do not accept the hierarchical structures of authority inherent in political activity. If a politic, politic, politician lacks the quality of detachment, the ability to let the difficult facts of reality work their way into the mind, then Weber, the sociologist, uh, the politician ends up striving for the boastful but entirely empty gestures. His work leads nowhere and is senseless. Welcome to Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, and the Freedom Caucus. Really, have we ever seen such bumbling on this scale? People at once so cynical and so naive as to willfully, so willfully ignorant and using the levers of power to produce some tangible, if incremental, good? These insurgents can't even acknowledge democracy's legitimacy. In fact, I would add they hate it. And as we will discuss when we talk about uh, the next story, the, the, the Grand Inquisitor. If you can't persuade a majority of your colleagues, <clears throat> maybe you should accept their position. You might be wrong. People who don't accept democracy will be bad at conversation. They won't respect in t- tradition, institutions, or precedent. These figures are masters of destruction but incompetent at construction. These insurgents are incompetent in governing and unwilling to be governed, but they are not a spontaneous growth. It took a thousand small betrayals of conservatism to get to the dysfunction we see all around. Took courage, I think, on his part to write it. Uh, I've always liked him. Sometimes when I read some of his columns, There's a nice academic whiff to it that at the same time I find in certain ways naive, Uh, but he's now my hero, for this week at least, Uh, because this is a call uh, for those Republicans to stand up uh, and and, um, be counted in terms of their commitment to a democratic process whether liberal or whether it's conservative, that the argument uh, is done without hate, without dehumanization. Uh, It deals with the facts. 
which have disappeared uh, from so much of political discourse. The facts don't matter. It's who you hate and how loud you can yell uh, that, that matters. Now the question is what I want to discuss a little bit about, and I have been doing this over the last few weeks, um, and one of the reasons I am on in the evening is I hope to broaden my audience. Uh, that is my goal. Um, it's usually enough for me to uh, make a lecture, uh, teach a lesson. Uh, I feel very professorial when I do these shows, and uh, maybe I should apologize for that. Uh, it can be off-putting. On the other hand, uh, one of the things I did for 40 years was be a professor, and I adored uh, the role of professor, especially in my later years when I learned to do it with less authoritarianism. Uh, I kept the authority, uh, but the authoritarianism, the uh, uh, put-down of students who disagreed with me, uh, the fights with colleagues who disagreed with me, um, uh, disappeared, and I became a much happier uh, camper um, and, and teacher, and I think much more effective. The Grand Inquisitor is a story within a story. Uh, if those of you who have not read uh, the masterpiece uh, by Fyodor Dostoevsky entitled The Brothers Karamazov, uh, it's time you go to the library and read it. It is Dostoevsky's thesis uh, in, in fictional form about the nature of religion and faith. And the centerpiece of, the, uh, of, of, of this argument <clears throat> given in, in religious form uh, is a parable, uh, and I should back up a little bit, the, the person telling this story or creating this story is the character of Ivan, uh, one of the brothers who is a professed atheist. And what he is trying to do in the story is um, show the hypocrisy of the church. And in doing so, he ignores uh, the, the uh, views of his younger brother, Alyosha, who has real faith, the kind of faith uh, that uh, uh, Christ a Christianity based on the genuine teachings of Christ, um, uh, uh, he, he has that kind of faith. And so uh, what really emerges <clears throat> in this story uh, is an expose, uh, as uh, Dostoevsky sees it, of the formal church, but at the same time, a definition emerges of what a true religion of humanism, of forgiveness, of individuality and creativity uh, would be. So I want to discuss a little bit about the story itself, the story within a story. It takes place within the uh, Spanish Inquisition a horrendous time in human history when the church <clears throat> sought out disbelievers defined as heretics, tortured them into confessions uh, that they dealt with the devil. Uh, they did tests to see <clears throat> whether a person was possessed by demons, such as weighting them down with stones and dropping them into deep wells. Uh, the logic being that if the individual floated uh, it meant that they would be, uh, they would have to be burnt at the stake to free their soul from its infestation of the devil. Uh, it turns out that uh, anybody who was set on fire or drowned was always innocent. <clears throat> um, and uh, 100 people were uh, burnt to death. By the way, if you confessed that you were part of the devil, you were spared the uh, horror of being burnt alive. Uh, and were merely choked to death, uh, a much, I guess, a, a much less painful and cruel death than being burnt uh, alive in a fire. Um, in the midst of this uh, uh, happening, uh, with the crowd uh, joyfully and in a large party, uh, a mood, uh, 
as they believe that they are the holy ones of the church uh, because they're not being burnt to death. There was a belief that, in fact, uh, if the church said that somebody was possessed and uh, was a heretic, uh, they were. Because as we'll see, when authority speaks under these circumstances, authority is not to be questioned. The th- authority provides the truth. And again, as we've seen is the, it's from so many areas, including the politics going on now, the moment you um, speak in opposition to the ideas of the authority, you are a heretic, you are uh, 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 debased, you don't deserve to be a citizen. You don't deserve uh, to be heard. And um, I'll end when I the show what happened to me personally uh, in my university when I really took a strong stand and I published works uh, criticizing psychiatry uh, and and um, a psychology that was based upon it and suggesting a different way of uh, functioning. Uh, with our patients. And again, for those of you who are interested, uh, I have a number of shows over the last few years which I have done uh, trying to describe my view of what a good psychotherapy is as a liberating and and, uh, educational uh, function rather than as a cure for a label supposedly as an illness Uh, that doesn't exist actually as an illness. Anyway, Christ appears, and the crowd immediately recognizes that it is Jesus who has returned. Um, They ask him to commit some uh, miracles, and he does. He walks on water. They throw flowers. Uh, They are all happy. The only one who's not happy is the cardinal, uh, who is the grand inquisitor of the church, the individual who roots out uh, the evil of the heretic, uh, the the people who have been taken over by the demons and the devils and by Satan, and um, orders Christ arrested and brought to a dungeon. And the entire story uh, is the Inquisitor speaking and lecturing Christ and lecturing him and telling him not to speak. And Christ, calmly listening, looking back into the eyes of the Inquisitor uh, until the very end of this story uh, when he, he does something that I'll describe and is described in this story. And the Inquisitor, and by the way, for anybody who uh, uh, has computer, Google the Grand Inquisitor, put it in quotes, you can add by Dostoevsky, D-O-S-T-O-E-V-S-K-Y, and a whole list of uh, discussions about it will take place. One of the most wonderful is uh, a YouTube uh, uh, reproduction of John Gielgud and another actor who I've never heard of, Uh, acting out the scene of the uh, Grand Inquisitor. And it makes the whole thing much easier to understand and much more wonderful uh, to be a participant in. Uh, Bring it up on your screen screen and raise the, you know, uh, make it as large as the screen. The sound is good. The picture is a little wobbly. But it really is quite wonderful to watch and follow the logic of the Grand Inquisitor, as he explicates what he believes is Christ's view and starts out by asking, why have you come here? You only make trouble and you make people unhappy. So the church in, in which exists in Christ's name, uh, this church wants to uh, destroy Christ. Why? Why would Christ make the unhappy? The story goes on, and, and by the way, I have to add, when I, the story goes on to deal with the three temptations of Christ by Satan. Now, I, I must interject something else here. Um, I've always been interested in Bible stories since when I was a kid. 
Uh, I follow. Uh, I, I was like when I ever go to uh, um, to uh, temple, I will pick up a Bible and I will read the stories. I don't read them in Hebrew, but I read them in English, because while I don't take them literally, I find that there's much that's socially and psychologically interesting and important in the stories. For many years, uh, I have been talking about Genesis and the story of God creating the, the world. Now, I don't believe that the world was created by a God, particularly by a male God. I don't believe this literally. But the story is a fascinating one for me because... The God that is, is, is portrayed in Genesis is the ultimate creator, an individual with free will who creates what he wants because he sees it as beautiful and as good. So that the world is a projection of God's view of what is moral and what is beautiful and a reflection of God's will. God has the ultimate free will, which, as we'll see in a moment, really is the crux of why the Grand Inquisitor uh, wants Christ uh, once again uh, to be killed and banished. Because the church does not believe in free will, it doesn't promote it. And we'll see for a moment. Uh, again, when I used to talk about this uh, in class and with discussions, if we were created in the image of the free will of the Creator, then shouldn't our desire, our basic human desire as beings, as human beings, to have free will, to be creative? And yet, I was, and most of us, went through a school system that while it occasionally allowed us our opinion, was a system that said, being obedient makes you the good child. Being obedient. Uh, one of the, the diagnoses that I have hated the most, and I hate most of them in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, is the oppositional defiant disorder. Children who oppose authority. In other words, it's impossible for the child to be correct and the authority to be irrational and distorted. If the child opposes parents, however uh, they may be uh, uh, distorted in their beliefs, or however abusive they may be, if the teacher is incompetent, it is the child who is wrong. And we don't honestly say we are uh, seeking out heretics and trying to stop their heresy. We end up saying they're sick and they must be treated until they have the proper respect for authority. So, the, I, I look at the story of the temptations of Christ, uh, and I agree with Bertrand Russell, who wrote a book, Why I Am Not a Christian, in which he suggests uh, that uh, Christianity, based on Christ's uh, 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 teachings, uh, was a fabulous idea. Maybe someday it'll be tried. Maybe, maybe uh, we will look at, 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 at it and say, how do we find a way to promote the ideas that emerge in the struggle between the cardinal, the grand inquisitor? What the cardinal says to him about uh, um, the, the, the parable of the temptations of Christ is that Satan had come to uh, Christ, and again, I take this as a story, not literally. I do not believe there's a real Satan. And while there may have been a historical Christ, uh, uh, I don't know who he was or what he was, uh, but certainly I don't believe he ever had a literal discussion with, a, with Satan, and I don't believe that he was the Son of God in any literal way. On the other hand, Satan said to Christ in his first temptation, take these uh, stones and turn them into bread. And Christ refuses and he says, there is more to life than just bread. And bread here is symbolic of all material goods and material wealth. 
Here in the United States, we have bread, but what we seek is the other kind of bread, money. And we are and have been for most of my life on a rampant, hungry search for more money. Millionaires are not content to be millionaires. They must be billionaires. Uh, uh, we are seduced. I was watching a golf and this, this fantasy sports shows a young man who just won a million dollars and his ecstasy is beyond belief. Uh, and it's not that I'm against money, but we are worshiping money. Uh, and when Christ refuses this, as the Grand Inquisitor and Satan see it is, what are you doing? What are you doing? You could take over. All you have to do is feed the need of people to become rich, to have enough to eat. All they have to do is give up their freedom for your authority. That's all you have to do. And if they don't, you have to make them afraid because then they're dangerous. And during this conversation, uh, the Grand Inquisitor said, and here is the, the nexus, the, the critical question we have to ask. Is he right when he says that free will is our greatest agony, that making moral choices... Okay? Um, Satan promised Christ, I promise man everything in exchange for the one thing that makes human beings human beings. Freedom, and I always add creativity. This terrible, if uh, absolute freedom, the will to choose and to reject at any and every moment what his own conscience shows him to be as a moral good. To stand up for your conscience in the face of what others tell you you should believe. To do wrong is a choice, a responsibility. To do right is a choice. And in Christ's message, as in the Buddhist message, as in so many messages, the work of Freud, as I described it in one of my last episodes, to understand what we are as a human being and not repress it, but ultimately accept it, however awful it is, and find a way to sublimate it for the good, giving us more power to choose. The agony of guilt, the agony of shame, is taken away when we listen to authority, when we are kept in ignorance. Okay? We will give bread, all earthly possessions and wealth, in exchange for absolute authority, absolute loyalty to the authority. Barter his freedom for miracles, mystery, and authority. Don't question. It's all a mystery. It's beyond our understanding. Don't look into it. And don't question. And with it, that freedom that makes us human, that makes us creative, is gone. And I think we do this in part because of how much pressure is put on us to conform and how much punishment and pain we might be subjected to, particularly as children. But I think... The story, as, as Dostoevsky is really showing us, is that we don't want that authority. We are vulnerable. And even in our democracy, our willingness to listen to the lies of the politicians, the grandiose things that they can do, only they can save the country, whether it's liberal or whether it's conservative, that we know they're lying, and we've become disappointed and enraged, but in the next election, we reinstate their authority, putting aside our belief that we deep down know that they cannot deliver the promises they make because we do not want to stand up 
and be the citizen that we have to be and make decisions that go against uh, uh, what authority tells us is the truth, the single truth, uh, uh, and, and uh, uh, bear the consequences of rejection and even pain. Uh, so man wants certainty. Uh, Christ would rather we have, as the, the bishop says, the confusion of free thoughts to a stable society. I think this is just incredible stuff. Uh, as the Grand Inquisitor finally says, we create the happiness of babes united in a unanimous and harmonious antheap. That's the cynicism of this kind of authoritarianism. And it exists, and it is always a danger, and it always has its ability to rise, particularly when people are frightened, when they cannot earn a living, uh, as I said in a number of my shows recently, uh, when we're not aware of the evolutionary pressure for us to be part of the loyal member of the tribe uh, and, and therefore uh, deny our individual uh, capacity to challenge and change and initiate real creative uh, work in, in whatever field that is. Uh, I often tell the story when I first began developing my own theory and I integrated uh, Piaget, and I've had some good shows uh, in the past, about the development of thought from absolute babe thought, pre-operational, literal, concrete, without the ability to abstract, uh, and through the educational process, through reading, through discussion, uh, we develop a capacity for abstraction, to stand outside of our beliefs and question our own beliefs and, and to engage in the kind of debate and the kind of compromise that's necessary, particularly in a political process. Um, no, I think in many ways we would rather be babes in a harmonious and unanimous antheap. Uh, the ultimate of cynicism. And again, I see this as growing in the political process. Uh, it's there on the far left. Uh, they're not in Congress. They're not being elected. Uh, but the people who are electing uh, um, these individuals in these gerrymandered districts, um, these are people who represent and are the frightened individuals whose manhood is being taken from them uh, because they are no longer able to earn the living and be the kind of head of household uh, that would exist if they still had the factories, they were still building cars, making clothing, doing all of the kind of things that are necessary that are now being imported from outside the country. Um, the growth of women's rights which again is so much a part of the the venomousness of the uh, right, uh, the, the the Republican right, the ones that uh, uh, Brooks calls incompetent and authoritarian and totalitarian. Um, another show for you to watch if you have HBO. It's a documentary, a fabulous documentary. Uh, by uh, entitled Questioning Darwin. And I've done another show on this recently. If you go into the archive, I like all of these shows. I'm rather proud of them uh, because I don't judge anybody. I'm not judging anybody tonight, I believe, but just trying to describe uh, the mindset and some of the reasons why these mindsets exist. The difference between uh, a Republican uh, who knows how to rule and has a love for the country uh, rather than uh, a hatred for large sections of it. Um, uh, uh, so the, the questioning of Darwin goes through the Darwinian theory and why it is such a difficult theory for people who are faith, um, particularly people who question their faith 
but don't recognize that they question their faith. Uh, Darwin ultimately describes how we got here uh, through the evolutionary process. But he in no way ever said that this de demands we live a certain way. In fact, the whole notion of our religions, of our moral philosophies, works best when we recognize we are an evolved animal and we have very deep impulses uh, that can be dangerous to ourselves and others, but that we as a society, that we as uh, followers of those prophets, those philosophers of intelligence and love, um, can rise above live outside of and control what is the animal within us uh, in order for us to be truly human and have as much freedom as possible. Because ultimately, this is what most moral philosophy is about. To have freedom, to reject the temptation to follow blindly in a mob to believe that uh, whatever we're told, even though deep down we know and we do know that this is not good for us and it's not good for those around us. Ask the Germans who are old enough to have lived through Hitler's regime what was left after the ultimate uh, submission to the Fuhrer. Uh, uh, that tried to take over the world and export the Nazi philosophy. The story of, of uh, Darwin, uh, which again, does not say we have to live any way except the way we choose to live, because we do once we have a developed intelligence and an abstraction and a support for us by, through the people who truly love us, and don't want to control us, but the people who truly love us, allows us to live not just uh, uh, as cats and dogs, but to live as creative beings with as much free will as possible. And it's interspersed with interviews of uh, Christian evangelicals who won't even let their children listen to anything about Darwin. Uh, when I taught at my school in Brooklyn, I had a number of ortho youngsters who came from Orthodox families and were there not with the goodwill of their rabbis, of their very conservative rabbis. Uh, and a student had come up to me at one point and said, whenever you talk about Darwin, I have to leave the room because I'm not allowed to listen to Darwin. Darwin is a heretic. So this is not just uh, uh, Christianity. This is all this very deep authoritarian religion that would say to a child, you'll be corrupted if you merely listen to the ideas. To me as a psychologist, this says, I fear your ideas. And I fear them because they make sense. And if they don't make sense and they're just, uh, they don't make sense to me because they're lo locked in mystery, I don't really understand them. I don't understand the fact that I can understand these ideas and still choose to be a good Jew uh, as my rabbi wants it. But not to be blind and not to be left in the mentality of babes, of an unquestioning child or a child who questions and is slapped down for this. It exists everywhere that it is so infused in the American political process at this point where more and more Republicans and few Democrats speak up, engage in a ferocious debate, uh, that is what frightens me. Uh, and they give interviews on this documentary questioning Darwin uh, by some Southern pastors uh, who sits just with this wonderful smug smile and say, I know the truth. I don't have to hear anything else that questions my truth. Uh, the creation of creationism as a science, which then will teach children, yes, if there were dinosaurs and God created them, and since the world is 6,000 years old, 
uh, there must have been a Garden of Eden and it had dinosaurs in it. Uh, <clears throat> it's factually impossible. It's factually impossible. Uh, and, and to see children uh, being kept uh, in fear of an idea uh, because it might illuminate their minds and allow them to make the free choice that all of the Christ parables say are the necessary function of a human being to be a human being. Uh, last week I sent a letter to Marco Rubio, the senator of Florida. I'm a Florida resident. Uh, and I said in my letter, which I don't expect to hear a response from, but I said, uh, our children are killing children. The business that uh, all these guns uh, are not a problem. It's the mentally ill who use them. Uh, I went through in my argument that there is no way for the field of psychology or psychiatry to predict who will use those guns. Um, that uh, most civilized countries, I was in Germany, which learned its lesson uh, in World War II and the horrible aftermath. You can have a pistol if the barrel is shorter than, I think, two inches or three inches, and it contains only one bullet. And nobody except the military can have an AK-47 or something that fires a 50-round cartridge in three seconds that can take out uh, dozens of people. It doesn't exist. Uh, Marco Rubio and all of the Republicans uh, uh, who are running for president, none of them will say, you're right, we have to have some kind of rational process by which guns uh, can be kept by people and made safe uh, and made responsible, not simply by the choice, but by law, by law. Um, and I said to him, if you simply parrot the NRA, then you're mindless. But if in your heart of hearts you know that this has to uh, exist, some kind of, of rational process uh, to prevent our children from killing other children, of having school shootings once a week, uh, of, of suggesting that teachers should open fire, uh, that pastors should open fire, uh, that, that firefights should take place in theaters um, uh, because we, we are not safe anywhere at any time uh, through the hands of our fellow citizens. Uh, and if you believe that, then you are a hypocrite and a coward. And if you ever came out with a rational process that your heart tells you is necessarily intellectually and morally, I could support you, but not this way. Um, and I'm going to be continually contacting all my senators and congressmen um, and, and writing these letters and speaking out on this show because uh, I believe that we need an educational process that doesn't kill us but enhances our creativity our intellectual maturity. I've said this so many times. All of the patients I ever work with, uh, I, I said, go back to school. Just go back to school. Get your degree. Uh, if you're an artist, get art training. If you're an athlete, work with the best coaches that you could possibly find. Uh, because education allows us to grow and gives us the ability to make choice which is the ultimate freedom to have will, to be creative, uh, and to act in the thing that, according to all religious gospel, says makes us the most human. Well, I feel better. I don't know about you. Uh, I don't expect anybody's there. I'm not sure I'm going to do my show uh, the same day. I think I'm going to maybe do two shows, three shows a week. Uh, if if I uh, can find as many topics uh, as I found with uh, this, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the uh, David Brooks article, and there's always stuff 
Uh, again, I'm not taking a political side. Uh, I'm taking a psychologically insightful side. I'm a Freudian. I'm an interpersonal psychologist. I'm a developmental psychologist. And all of that feeds into uh, my notion of what it takes to have a moral society that is at once creative and individualistic and at the same time has respect for authority, demanding that that authority be respectful and caring in return. So I have nine more minutes. I've gone on too long. Um, maybe over the coming weeks, uh, somebody will call in. The number to call in is, let me put my my glasses on. Since my cataracts were removed, I have great distance vision, but I'm blind as a bat from three feet in. 646-716-7756, or you can send me an email at larrysidoc at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. If you hear this show and you like it, if you think it's sensible, if you could sit through it, tell your friends. Tell people you know. Uh, we have to, as uh, citizens who care about democracy, we have to make a concerted effort to be forceful in our arguments to be logical in our arguments, to be respectful in our arguments, and not join the other side in screaming labels and calling people crazy and fascist and communist. Uh, uh, there has to be, as the Pope, uh, who I like more and more as the days go by, uh, said, and my rabbi said, and I did a show about the rabbi and the Pope, which their presentations on the High Holy Day of Yom Kippur, uh, that Wednesday, a couple of weeks ago. Um, It's not what we say, it's how we say it that becomes really important. So I'm going to sit here for another 60 seconds or so. Maybe someone will call in. That would make me very, very happy. And then I go, I forgot to buy ice cream. I really felt I deserved a really good dessert today. I didn't have my wine because I can't do a show and drink wine at the same time. I've tried it occasionally, but I end up being too discombobulated. So I'd like to uh, have some ice cream. But we have some ice pops that are sweet and nice. Okay, I'm going to end my show.